If you're brand new, uh, we have been walking through verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. Now, what the author Peter is writing to, he's writing to Christians all throughout the known world. He's writing to these churches and essentially what they're dealing with as uh, the faith following Jesus is spreading to these different uh, cities and towns is people are are trying to figure out what does it look like, one, to just follow him in a normal life setting uh, from your work to your family, but then also like, uh, what does it look like when you actually start to become persecuted for your faith? How do you follow him? What does it look like to, to honor him in that? And not only is he writing to them because they're dealing with it, uh, but they're also going to be dealing with it. And, and so this is a powerful uh, book of the Bible. And, and it's so powerful, I, I think, not only for what it speaks, because of what it speaks to them, but how it connects uh, to us and what we're going through, what we're trying to navigate uh, through, how we're trying to honor God or, or just try to identify what to do in these different situations and these scenarios where for some of us, it's unprecedented. We've never faced opposition. We've never uh, faced um, these trials that we're walking through. And so he has, in this book so far, highlighted uh, this, this new birth, okay? This new birth. And when you hear me say the new birth, it's, it's, talking, to, it's talking about our salvation, Right, uh, us going from disconnected from God, not wanting we're not wanting anything to do with God, to then uh, going all in and and receiving Him as our Lord and Savior, saying, "I believe in Him. I want to follow Him, and so I surrender my life to Him." And in that moment, we call that being born uh, again to this new life. And so we've we've heard words, uh, we we've heard phrases like now this this new living hope. Uh, that we get to live with as a result of being uh, adopted into his family. This journey we're on of holiness, of, of becoming more uh, like God in our actions and in our lives. And last week we talked about how that leads us to loving other people, in particular, other Jesus followers well. And so it's along that, the, those same lines where today he's going to talk about uh, more uh, change that essentially should happen if I'm a Jesus follower, if that transformation really has taken place. You know, when we think about just change as a whole, there's certain things that we uh, expect to bring change. Uh, when, when early on in the pandemic, when it was very clear that our my gym wasn't going to open back up. I did what so many other uh, people did is I looked to buy gym equipment for my house. And uh, I remember buying it and, and, and as, as I bought it and, and whether you bought gym equipment or just when you think about um, a gym membership, there are expectations attached with that, aren't there? There's expectations of physical change. Right? Nobody has ever bought a piece of physical equipment and went, oh, I'm so glad I got that so I can just be who I was and just look the same. No, there's like in your mind, there's this version of you that's unrealized yet, untapped, and it looks like this thing. And you're like, that machine, those dumbbells, they're going to get me that. So you believe in this incredible change, right? Or you, uh, you, know, you work out at a gym, you have a trainer, and you're like, I am paying you to transform me into that. So that's the expectation. 
right? A lot of us, when we go to get a haircut, it's the same thing, right? We walk in, we go, oh, I'm a mess. And then we give our barber, our hairstylist, we give them a picture of some famous celebrity. And we go, I want to look like that. And they're like, okay, <laughs> we'll do that. Um, you know, you're still going to be you, right? Like, you know, but there are expectations of change. And, and this happens in a lot of different areas of our life where, where we're anticipating that there should be a dramatic change in something. And so when he's talking about this new birth, when he's talking about salvation, there should be a dramatic change. And, he, and that's what he's going to unpack here. And so let's look at this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start with verses 1 through 3. It says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, so as a result of salvation, as a result of being born again, Peter says, listen, you need to take these things off. Literally, the words used are like, are, like, um, are like clothing and taking off articles of clothing. And he says, listen, these are characteristics. These are, these are sins that cannot be any longer a part of who you are. So take them off. And the first thing he says is malice. Okay, he says, put away malice. And what malice essentially is, it's, it's, it's a desire to harm someone else. Okay, it's, it's a desire that harm would go to someone else. Um, it, it, it's literally harboring these evil thoughts uh, towards somebody, and it is awful. In fact, the rest of these play off of that. Okay, it, it, it's this hope that, that, that literally like doom and, 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 and heartbreak would go and, and happen to somebody uh, else. So he says, get rid of that. That cannot be in your life. That will build up walls, grudges. It, it will do so many things to you. Then he goes on and he says, remove deceit. Deceit. Now, deceit is any form of dishonesty. Okay? He says, get rid of that. And that's concealing or misrepresenting the truth. And so he says, if you're going to follow Jesus, like, like you've got to remove this deceit. You've got to remove um, the lies that you're presenting the truth that you're withholding. And then he continues and he goes into hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I'll tell you what, if there is one common denominator that I hear across the board of why people want nothing to do with the church or nothing to do with God, it is hypocrisy, isn't it? It's just common. Like, like, in fact, I'll talk to people and they're like, no, I agree with the teachings of Jesus. Um, I, I, I agree uh, in the Bible, but I really don't like the church. And I go, okay, why? Almost every time. Almost every time. Why? Because I hear, well, it's insincere. It's not, it's not genuine. Those are insincere people. Right? When you think of hypocrisy, it's, it's being insincere. It's, it's pretending to be something you're not. It was literally used to describe uh, actors who wore masks. And, and, and so literally, um, when we think of 
why that needs to be so far removed from us if we're going to follow Jesus is because uh, this is the stuff that, 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 that it's causing people to not want anything to do with God, right? It's wrecking your testimony. I mean, you think of how, how often we can walk into a space like this, and it's unfortunate that it happens, but it does, and we can try to present this spiritual front that's not real, is it? We can have conversations with people and we try and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm this and, and I'm spiritual and I love God. And, and we're trying to present a front oftentimes, which is what? Hypocrisy. Um, we can, well, my marriage is so incredible and we try to present this front and your marriage is a disaster, right? Like there's all these things that we will, that we will do. We'll, we'll, we'll pretend that we care about someone, won't we? And how are you doing? Are you okay? All of this. Let me pray for you. And guess what? As soon as the conversation's over, out of sight, out of mind. And so we can very easily, very quickly become that. And that will absolutely destroy the work and the will of God in your life. He says, get rid of that, that hypocrisy. Then he says, envy. And what is envy? Envy is this jealousy, right? It's, it's literally this, this resentment that I have towards other people who seem to be blessed or more blessed than me, right? It, it, it's, it's, I see the successes that they're having. I see the things that they're able to have, how, how their relationships, their marriage, their kids, their family, uh, their situation, it just seems to always work out and yet mine doesn't. And so I build up this jealousy. I build up this resentment towards them. And you guys, this is a very, very dangerous thing. Envy is awful. It, it, it leads to bitterness and bitterness is so awful. It, it leads to this hatred for somebody else. Sometimes it's hatred for somebody you don't even know. Have you ever been envious or jealous of someone and you've never even met them? It's like, what are you doing? Like, well, I saw what they posted. You don't even know them, right? You like wrote the book off of, like, off of that one thing, right? And so, and so this is a, a horrible thing and envy is so uh, present in our lives and more prevalent than ever because we have what? We have social media, we have all these things that are showing, highlighting uh, how great other people's lives are compared to ours, right? And, and, and it's dangerous, it's destructive, right? And uh, it's the very thing that put Jesus on the cross. That's why the, uh, the high priest and then put him on the cross was out of envy. And you guys, it will destroy you. It will destroy your ability to appreciate the blessings that God has blessed you with. And, and so you have to guard against this comparison game. I can't plead with you enough because who you're comparing yourself to usually isn't even real, it's, 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 it's crazy, right? Like, and it, it always, I always go back to, you know, the images, right? The pictures that we take and we post on, on social media. Uh, and it, and it's, it's funny to me because like we did, we did extended family photographs when we were in uh, Ohio a couple weeks ago and we did the extended family. And I'll tell you what, it was awful. I mean, you talk about trying to get the perfect shot to make it appear like all the kids are just loving it and, and everything else, right? It, it, was, it was just, it was, it was awful. But guess what? We're probably gonna post this incredible picture of our extended family. And you probably go, man, Steve's family's so happy. <sighs> that must've been a great day. It wasn't. 
It wasn't. <laughs> but we do that over and over again. Over and over again. You gotta guard your heart, guys. God loves you so much. You think of what this is relation to. This is the new birth that you have. And he says, envy will rob you. It will rob you of appreciating that. It will rob you of your story, of your testimony. And that will lead to, it says, slander. You guys, in slander, that is backbiting. That is malicious gossip. It's attacking someone's character. And when do we see this, right? It's, it's never to their face, is it? It's behind their back. And you're just tearing someone down, ripping them apart. And you guys, that absolutely destroys the name of God. It just does, especially if that other person is another Jesus follower. You guys, people that don't know who God is, they see us do that to each other and they go, that's ridiculous. What are they doing, right? And that will just, how in the world do you then share your faith with someone when all they've heard come out of your mouth is you like tearing down other Jesus followers? It's a horrible thing, you guys. And so we've got to understand and know that these things, he's like, get rid of it. It will destroy your ability to live this new life. It will destroy your testimony. It will destroy your witness. Uh, and, and all these things that God wants to do, those things will only hold you back. And he says, now, now here's what you should do. Okay, take those things off. But then what does he say for them to do? Okay, he says, secondly, as a result of this new birth, you are to what? crave the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. You are just, just like an infant. You are to crave that, you guys. So he's used these examples of these sins and all those things are sins. They will stunt your growth. They will hinder your ability to grow and be all that you can be. Uh, remember when coffee, and my parents, it will stunt your growth. Where did that go? I remember I wouldn't touch coffee. And then in college, someone's like, no, that's not true. And I went, are you kidding and I had reached, like, I wasn't, I clearly wasn't going to grow anymore. So I was like, forget this. And it changed my math scores. It was fantastic. But there are certain things that the Bible is going to say, don't do this, you guys. And it's going to say, don't do this, not because God is the anti-fun police. It's because this will stunt your growth. This will stunt all that he wants to do. So he said, take those things out of your life. But then he says, this is what you should crave. This is what you desire. And you guys, over and over again, you'll see the word of God used as like food. It is the nourishment for your soul. Just as those things will stunt your growth, this will grow, cultivate. It will nourish your spiritual health. But it's gotta be from this pure desire for the word of God. And I love the, the picture, right? Of, of a newborn infant. Craving and desiring milk, right? I mean, uh, whether you've had a, a child or not, you've seen this play out, right? When an infant wants to be fed, something's happening. Okay, they, they are, <laughs> they're aggressive. They're impatient, right? Tell, tell a hungry newborn, hey, hold on. We're gonna get that, Okay. Good luck, right? They are aggressive, they're impatient, and they are determined. They are determined that you are gonna feed me, and if you don't, I'm gonna get louder and louder, 
right? And, and God, I mean, we're out of that phase. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, uh, as cute as they are and as controllable as they are in that phase, we're out of that phase. That phase has left us. Uh, but man, I, I, I just think of some of those nights. And, and listen, my wife was a warrior during that time. Incredible. But there were certain times it was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed the bottle. And man, I'll tell you what, they were, that, those kids were not waiting for that bottle to be heated up. They were crying. And half the time, they were like still asleep. Their eyes were closed, but they were like, feed me. You know? And, and, and everything you can do, Right? Please, please, God, please. And you just think of that, that, that desire. That's the image here. That's the image. As crazy as it seems, that's the aggressiveness that we're to go after the pure word of God. That's the desire. That's the hunger. And, 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 he, and he doesn't say like, uh, you know, these things that attach the word of God to it. He says the pure word of God, the pure word of God. Guys, one of the things that I am continually blessed by this church with is there is, in my opinion, from being at other churches, there is a strong desire for the pure word of God. And I'm so thankful for that. And that plays out much more than just on Sunday. We see it in discipleship. We see it in people in school of Bible and all these things. And, and, it, and it's not this like, hey, Steve, come, come entertain me or I hope the worship music sounds good. I mean, we want those things, but it's a desire for the pure word of God. And you guys, we have to have that. That is something that every day I should be waking up with is this desire to be with God, to hear from God. And I'm reminded how um, he doesn't say, hey, make sure you are hungry to read or to study or to teach or to memorize the word. He says, he's, he's concerned with our what? The ground level, he's concerned with our desire. Desire. So the question for you is what, if you're a Jesus follower, what do you desire? Is what are you hungry for? What are you really hungry for? Are you hungry for God's word? Is it just a thing you do or, or is it a hunger? He says, if, if you have received new life in Jesus, this should be a hunger. In verses four through 10, we keep going. It says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, those are good. Like that's underline circle, double tap. We need those verses. Those are incredible. Those are empowering. Those bring clarity. Uh, They give us uh, vital truths to uh, the church, to the calling to be a part of that. And we see two two specific images here. We see uh, really a building analogy of of a building and and the church is a building uh, and our role in that. And then we also see uh, it alluding to us uh, as Jesus followers, as priests. And so let's break down first the whole building component here. And and to help us, there's some language that we see is very similar to Ephesians chapter 2. And so I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22 to you to help uh, bring some clarity here. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Okay, so, so we see uh, Jesus being called the what? The, the chief cornerstone. Right, that's what we read about here. And, 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 and so as, since he's the chief cornerstone of the church, and, and what is this chief cornerstone? The chief cornerstone when they were building, that was the stone that set all of the right angles in place for the rest of the building. And, and so it, it was the most important stone. And so Jesus is that chief cornerstone when it comes to the church. It says he is a living stone. He's living because he was resurrected, wasn't he? He's alive. Okay, uh, he's the chosen stone of the Father, right? We, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago um, about how before you and I were created, before we even thought about rebelling, God the Father had already pl- planned Jesus to redeem us. So he was a chosen. And whoever believes in him, what does it say? Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Your translation may say will not be disappointed. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, here is the reality. You guys, I meet with a lot of people that say, I am a Christian. And as I interact with them, I go, man, you are a disappointed Christian. I can't tell you how often I run into that. Where, where someone will say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then by how they carry themselves, by how they communicate, it's like they are dis- they're discouraged. They're disappointed. And, and they're disappointed in God. There are so many people claiming to be Christians that are disappointed in God. How in the world did this happen? Some of you in this room are here and you feel like you're here because you're supposed to be here and you're disappointed in God. And we become disappointed in God. How? Well, when there's expectations of certain outcomes that don't happen, right? We're like, God, you're supposed to do that. You should have done that. It says in your word, you'll do that. Or I prayed for that. And you didn't restore it. You didn't heal it. You didn't make this right. You didn't give me that job. You didn't allow me to make that team. You didn't cause this tension to to go away. It's still here. And so God, I'm discouraged. And you guys, let me tell you, following Jesus, there are gonna be seasons where you're discouraged where you are gonna feel some disappointment. 
But where does that come from? You guys, if I'm disappointed, it means I'm holding him to a standard that he didn't promise. That's ultimately where disappointment comes from, right? I take his words and then I, I pull them to fit a desired outcome that I have. And, and, and what he's talking about specifically here, you guys, when he says, will not be put to shame, will not be disappointed. It's, it's in the future hope. It's in the living hope that we have today, right? Our problem is that we take that living hope, what's to come, and we say, well, that all and all these promises, they need to happen right now. And God's like, listen, I've been very clear. In this world, you will have tribulation. John 16, 33, you will. Like, oh. But the next part, what does he say? But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, our problem is I want you to just overcome right now. I want you to overcome in this situation. I want you to overcome in that and overcome in that and overcome that. And he says, listen, I have overcome. It's finished. It's done. It's completed. The gates of hell will not prevail. I am victorious. But in this world, you're going to have struggle. You're going to have times where you doubt, where, where you're not going to know the results, where you're going to wish certain outcomes would happen and they didn't. But you cannot be discouraged or disappointed in who I am because, listen, He has transformed everything about you were of darkness. He says, you're no longer. I'm gonna bring you, I'm gonna adopt you into my forever family. And now you live with this living hope. And so live with that, but don't judge or grade God off of all of these other pieces that have no eternal significance. Anything that's of eternal significance, he's gonna handle and he's gonna win. Amen? Amen just means agree, okay? Some of you are like, I don't know, okay? But we, we, we've got to understand and know that oftentimes our promises are in the wrong. We're holding him to promises that he didn't make. And Peter actually quotes in these verses, he quotes from the Old Testament, he quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Isaiah 28, 16 uh, in verse six. In, in verse seven, he quotes from Psalm 118, 22. And then in verse eight, he quotes from Isaiah 28 again, Isaiah 28, 14, as he's talking about the stone, right? This, this, this stone that was laid. And, and what he's pointing to here is, this was the stone. This is the corner of the chief stone, but it was what? It was rejected. The Messiah was rejected. Now, we went through the whole book of John verse by verse, and throughout it, what we saw is what? Jesus was not the Messiah they thought he was. He didn't align with what they wanted, right? He wasn't this political uh, figure that came and and saved them from Rome, uh, right? He wasn't this military warrior, all of these things. He didn't fix their life right then and there. All of these things that they were wanting and they were expecting, uh, Jesus wasn't those things. And so they they turned away from him. And, And what Peter says is, listen, what they were turning away from was from the word of God. They were turning away and disobeying God's word. Now, in the latter part of verse eight, it it seems to say that they were destined to disobey the word. But what this verse teaches is that they are destined to stumble because of their disobedience to the word. So he's saying you you will stumble if you're gonna disobey them. 
And then we see, you know, as I alluded to earlier, this, this whole idea of a building, a building. And, and, and Jesus, even uh, when he first talked about the church in Matthew 16, uh, 18, what did he say? He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So we see this whole picture of him building something, building his church. And so what we have been looking at here is when he's called us out of that darkness into light, as he's adopted us into his family, and we become a part of the church, he says, you are now living stones in the overall church building that I'm building. So every single time someone says, I'm going to go all in with Jesus, I'm receiving him as my Lord and Savior, they are another living stone added to the building of the church. You guys, the church is a structure built of living stones. And Peter is writing this letter to churches and Christians in five different provinces. And he's telling them, listen, I know you have this church and you're in that church and you're in that local church, but you are a part of overall one spiritual house. And there's power in that. And I love how once again in scripture, it speaks to the alive component. You are living stones. You're not a you're not a building that's a monument. You're alive in this. And you're part of something so much greater. And so there's unity. There should be unity, right? Uh, as Jesus followers. And, and, and I get it. You know, we look at the, at, at the climate, the, the spiritual climate, and we may go, oh man, the church is dead. It's all rubbles. It's not this living, uh, incredible building. You guys, every time throughout history that it seemed like the church was at its worst, God was doing an incredible work behind the scenes every single time. And so let's not write off the church just yet, okay? We then read in verse five and verse nine that we are what? We, we are priests. You're like, whoo. That sounds good. Or you're like, you don't know me. You don't know what I was doing last night. We are priests. We are a holy and a royal priesthood, it says. Now, in the Old Testament, they had the priesthood, but today it's saying, as Jesus followers, you are the priesthood. Now, in, in Old Testament times, they couldn't, the high priest could go into the Holy Holies in the temple one time a year. Okay, and and they better be right when they did that. So people couldn't just go into the presence of God, right? Um, and, and, and so there was, a, there was a clear separation that had to happen, right? Through their sacrifices, through everything. It had to go through this priest. And, 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 and so there were these steps in order to get to God. And he says, listen, they had the priesthood. Now you, my chosen, my, my adopted sons and daughters, you are priests. And so you now have the incredible privilege of going into the presence of God. This is amazing. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Let me, let me read this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So because 
Jesus is, is alive. He's living in glory up there. He is our advocate. He is our mediator between us and the Father. And so we can go and approach the throne of grace with confidence. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So because he's alive, interceding for us, you guys, we don't have to have any earthly person going to the Father for us, which is such an incredible gift, isn't it? The gift to be able to just cry out wherever you're at, to pray to God. It's, 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 it's an amazing thing to get your heart right with God, right? To, to, to acknowledge guilt, right? To, to acknowledge you made a mistake, to know that, oh my goodness, I got to bring a couple pigeons to church next week. <sighs> got to get things right. Might bring a goat too, <laughs> right? I mean, we're talking about steps to get right and he's removed it all for you and for me. So we could immediately go to the Father, receive forgiveness, receive grace in our time with, of need. And, and, and he talks about this privilege of actually bringing these spiritual sacrifices. Now, I was joking about, you know, we don't any longer have to bring the sheep, the goats, the, the birds and all that. Um, but we, we have the opportunity to bring these incredible spiritual sacrifices to uh, God uh, through worship. And, and we see this in Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So one of the things we bring to the table as a spiritual act of worship and sacrifice is our bodies. We go, God, this body's yours. I want to honor you with my body. I want to do what's right before you with my body. It doesn't belong to me, God. It's yours. Do with it what you will. And this is a, a sacrificial act of worship to him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, it says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Okay, so what is he saying here, right? We, uh, we are to sacrifice what? Our praise to him. So when we sing, when we declare his goodness and all of the, those things, we are declaring, we are uh, bringing sacrifices of praise to him. He talks about the sacrifice of good works, working good unto him, for him, for his glory, sacrificing our possessions for somebody else, our, our, our money, all of those things, our, our, our love. Those are all things we bring to the table out of sacrifice for him. And because of Jesus and only through Jesus, they are accepted. But as we do these things, church, we've got to understand and know that these things that we do, they're not for our benefit. They're not for our praise. They're for his praise. They're for his glory. And it is an opportunity and a gift to be able to bring him to him. And so that's our posture. That should be our posture when we come into this space. Is what an awesome opportunity to bring spiritual sacrifices to Jesus. And that's what we do, I pray. See, God wanted his people Israel to become a kingdom of priests. We see in Exodus 19, 6, he said that to the nation of Israel. He said, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that was his desire for Israel, right? To, to be the spiritual influence. And yet, what do we see throughout the Old Testament? 
Israel failed. Right? And, and instead of being this positive influence, this positive force for good um, in where they were positioned, where they had all these surrounding nations that didn't want anything to do with God, um, instead of them being this godly influence uh, to those nations, Israel actually did what? They started to imitate the nations that surrounded them and they started to adopt their practices. And what happens as a result? God has to discipline his people over and over and over again for their idolatry. And yet they continue in that same sinful pattern. And guys, that's why it's important as we read these words and we think, man, what does it mean to be a priest? Well, you guys are holy, a royal priest, man. That means there is a separation component because to be holy means to be set apart. And so because you are that now, as a Jesus follower, whether you think you're all that or whether you don't, there is a certain level of separation to this world that you and I are supposed to have. Now, I want to be really clear on this because I know when people listen to me, they take my words to extremes. So I want to unpack this. This is not a calling for you and I to be isolated. Okay, this is not the call to, oh, just isolate yourself from everybody. Go get a house as deep into the woods as you can and build a fort, right? And you just worship God in that house. Don't let anybody in, right? Okay, that's a very extreme picture. Some of us, that sounds amazing though, right? <laughs> You're like, man, that sounds great. The land's too expensive. Um, that's not the call here. The call is not to isolate yourself. See, because we need to be in the world. Why? Because we need to have a witness. We need to have a testimony, right? That's, that's how you influence the world. That's how you impact. And so the challenge here is we're, we're going to be in the world, but we're called to not be of the world. And so we've got to be in the world, but we can't allow the world to, to essentially infect us or change us from how God's called and designed us to live. And so you guys, separation here, when it's talking about this, separation is not isolation. Um, it, it's, it's I love, one writer, I love how he put it. It's, it's contact without contamination. Okay, that, that's what it looks like. And that's the challenge we have, right? That's your challenge. It's your challenge every day. As you get up, as you go to work, um, as you go to school, as you interact with family, friends, teammates, uh, all of those things, you are confronted with what? Two different realities, a new birth or the old you. And, and it's like, so what are you gonna live for, right? And, and so God has strategically placed us here. He strategically placed you in your apartment complex, in your neighborhood, uh, to all those people that are around you so that you could be a light, a marvelous light, a witness, so that, that, that the goodness that you live your life with, they would see and know and understand that there's something different about you, right? And so we have to guard that for ourselves, and there's a tension. There's always a tension with that. Um, but that's our calling. And, and that's what we have, to, we have to fight for. And then also, we've got to instill that into our kids. It's the thing I talk to my kids about so much. In fact, the other day, we're at the dinner table. And, and at the dinner table, we, we try and talk about like, hey, so what happened today, you know, and what, what God do, you know? Uh, and we're having this conversation and my oldest goes, he starts like labeling all these 
these friends of his, and they, he goes, they, they all believe in Jesus. And I, you know, and I'm a skeptic by nature. I go, really? How do you know? And he goes, well, we talked about it at recess. And I was like, you did? (laughs) At recess? No one was at, yeah. Mm, Okay. Good job, bud. I was like, that's it. That's it. That's it. He's living in that tension. He's understanding and knowing that I'm this little light at recess. Guys, I wasn't sneaking in the bushes at his recess going, you better do, like, no, that's a tension that he's got to learn to live with and he's got to learn how to honor God in that. And that's our challenge. That's what you and I have. And we see as it's describing Israel throughout this, we see these parallels as as it's describing the church. We see the same language being used as it talks about us in verses nine and 10, right? This, this, This chosen people, this holy nation. You guys, the church today is to God what the world, what, what, they're to be in the world what Israel was supposed to be. We are a chosen people and we're to speak to the grace of God. And you guys, it, it should be lived out in our lives. We are this holy nation. We are set apart. We belong exclusively to him. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so that's who we're for and what we're about and, he's, and, he, and he literally reminds them, just, he reminds, just as he reminds the nation of Israel, there is a holy standard, there is unholy. There's clean, there is unclean. Live for me, follow me. And, and, and the question is, why? Well, one, he's purchased us, right? We cost something, he purchased us. So we're important, we belong to him. But, but, but for what reason? Well, it comes back to, again, our testimony. It comes back to our witness. What does it say? So that we could proclaim the excellencies of him so that we could proclaim the excellencies. Literally, the, 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 the word translated here is to publish or to advertise. And so we're called, uh, whether you're like, man, I don't have that gift of evangelism, whether you have it or not, we are called to proclaim out the excellencies of our Lord and Savior. Right, we're, 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 to, we're to be a model, we're to advertise that out, right? And, and, and that's not like, hey, how many posts can you post on social media? That's not what we're talking about. Okay, we're, we're talking about how does your life reflect God's word, who God is, right? The blessings, he talks about the mercy that you've experienced. He says, in light of that mercy, how does your life proclaim that? Um, how many of you have seen just like the most incredible sign spinner you've ever seen in your life? Like none of you. You're like, isn't it amazing though? Like a legit sign spinner. Come on, 1030. Yes, it is. Don't, don't argue. It is. When you see a legit sign spinner and they're like twirling it. There we go. Oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. You didn't know what I was talking about, did you? That's okay. Welcome to my wife's world all the time. Um, so you see a sign spinner, right? Now, if there's a legit sign spinner, what do you want to do? You want to go, even if you're like, that's the dumbest thing ever. You want to go there just because like, I believe in that person. It's amazing, right? And then you see other people sit in their lawn chair, right? And you're like, I don't even know what that company is. I'm not buying a thing because they're not excited about it. 
right? We're making a decision off of enthusiasm, off of what they represent, off of how they reflect what's there. And you guys, people are watching. They're looking at your life, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your family. And they're just looking. What do you really advertise? What is revealed? And is it a marvelous, incredible creator God who's done a work in your life? Or is it you're just the same? What an incredible opportunity we have to radiate his goodness, the marvelous light, it says. And so guys, I wanna just close with these questions. What in your life, when you think of that and reflecting that and, and showing that, what do you need to take off today in your life? What is a part of your life that doesn't align with the new birth that you have? And then second, what are you desiring? What are you desiring? Are you desiring the pure milk of the word of God? You desire it. Are you hungry for that? And then do you understand how just significant and special it is to be adopted into his family? It's, it's an incredible, incredible gift, you guys. And we have to ask, are we letting other people know about that? Are you sharing about the mercy that you've experienced from God. I pray that we are. What a, what a crazy time to be alive, but what a great time to model who he is to a world that is searching. Amen.